before we start today's episode, all of us at Man Markham wanted to pay tribute to Lee Collins, the Oval Town captain who sadly took his own life earlier this month. Our thoughts go out to all of Lee's family and friends. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Please, lads, if you're struggling, tell someone. If you have a mate who's struggling, reach out in whatever way you think best. Don't suffer in silence. Talk. We promise you there will always be someone willing to listen. You want to get into, out the game where you've been into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it, I could and still do. For the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Paul Gladwell from the Paul Lavelle Foundation. Yeah, um, Paul Gladwell, I'm co-chairman of the Paul Lavelle Foundation, which um, basically we're trying to raise awareness with male domestic abuse along the way of uh, helping our community as well with various other things, helping other charities and a lot of sport and things and, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff in the community as well as domestic abuse. Joining me on the show today, as is the usual custom, it's my partner in crime. It's the main man, it's Ryan Pulford. Hello, mate. How are we? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. It's um, it's quite a nice day out again today, which is lovely. I just had a stroll to the shop to get some milk and uh, enjoyed it greatly. I'm a bit warm now, though, I must say. Um, but yeah, no, not so bad, mate. Not so bad. I think it's been weird. It's been really sunny for like eight degrees. I so I thought I thought that yesterday. I got in the car. Yeah, I don't know why we're talking about weather. So British, so very British. <laughs> but, um, I got in the car yesterday, and it was boil like the car was boiling because I've been sat in the sun. But I looked at like what the temperature was, you know, on the little display on the car, and it was ten degrees. Yeah, I was like, what is this? Like what I was I felt like DMing Greta Thunberg and getting her to explain it to me because I was just confused about <laughs> yeah. what was happening absolutely what was happening i couldn't believe it um so today we've got we've got paul lavelle uh the paul lavelle foundation we've got paul gladwell from from the foundation on the on the show today and this was one of the few interviews um that i wasn't on you and Anne took the Crazy. reins yeah pathetic from me really to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, you and Ant took the reins when speaking to paul and i think i think it was Ant, wasn't it who suggested that we should um we should speak to the Paul Paul Lavelle Foundation. I think we were aware of who they were because they're, they're the locals was, but yeah, I think it was I think it was Ant who proposed it to us, wasn't it? Yeah, they were warming up, I think, at Tramia, um, and they had um, like a top on, and, and I think that it's mentioned in the episode, so I wouldn't say too much about it. But yeah, we I think Ant came away with them and said this would be like really good um, for us to engage with them and and sort of learn more about the story because, as you say, I've been aware of them for a while without knowing too much about the background of what happened to Paul and, and how it came about. Um, so, yeah, Paul, Paul gladly came on and uh, sort of shared that with us and let us know that the history of it, really. And they're doing a great job locally in, in raising awareness, and I think they've even got an office and things like that now as well, so that work uh, looks to continue, and I think it's a bit more uh, f- f- far further reaching now as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, 
yeah, they're doing amazing things and, and you know, an absolutely vital service, particularly in uh, particularly in the last 12 months or so. We know that the, the difficulties that have been highlighted around domestic abuse within the pandemic. So, yeah, that it was a, it was a pleasure for us to get Paul on the show and um, yeah, I'm sure everyone's going to take a lot from today's interview. And that brings us nicely, Ryan, on to the theme for today. Do you want to give the, the listeners today's theme, please, mate? Yeah, uh, so today's theme is male victims of domestic abuse are almost three times less likely to tell anybody about it. Fantastic, and that's that's our theme. And if you do pick up on anything during the episode that, that we haven't or anything that you think would be interesting for us to discuss, then drop us an email, um, manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us. Uh, our handle is at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use that hashtag, where's the talking lads? So we're now going to pass you over to Paul Gladwell from the Paul LaBelle Foundation, and we will see you on the other side. So just just to start the story at the start, could you first of all tell us about your friendship with Paul and where and when you first met? Um, I met Paul in 1988 in a Swan and Basically, uh, there was a there was a place to go and that in them days, you know, it wasn't like a little restaurant like McDonald's it is now. Um, <laughs> but um, a lot of lads used to go there and girls and do different groups. It was he come up one day. I had a Pink Floyd sweatshirt on it. With, it was a concert one from Versailles in Paris. He was in Seed. He was into Floyd. He was into Evan. He just come up and started talking and then. But there was other groups of lads who knew each other there, you know, just with a nod and that. And eventually we just all come as one, you know, of 40 of us and 30 odd years on, we're all still there together, you know, with many a tales. It's hard to be honest with you, like. Yeah, yeah. sort of football, music, pub orientated. That, yeah, that was it, and one, to be honest with you, like, football, music, partying. And, that, yeah. and then that's what we did, you know, going to concerts, football match in the back of vans, lads trips abroad, you know, that, that that's all we did, you know, five days a week, to be honest with you, non-stop, because like to book some of the time to the others are unreal, I mean. Yeah. And we were, you know, we did a few skeletons, you know, in our, in our closets, Without a shadow, without, but that is part of our story. To be honest with you, I think a lot of people probably look and now go, "Jesus, remember all them lot from years ago?" And now look what we're doing now. And we'll say it ourselves. I mean, fifteen, twenty years ago, we wouldn't have dreamt that we'd be doing what we're doing to help strangers. You know, putting so much time and effort. But that's where life takes you, doesn't it? You know, you know things change, and you just start reevaluing things and wanting to help people. In terms of Paul, what, what was he like then as a person? Paul was uh, a lunatic, <laughs> to be honest with you. He was um, he was the funniest. And it's easy to say now all these things, you know, because of what happened. Because you always hear the stories like that. But Paul was the funniest person that's ever graced this town of ours, to be honest with you. If you left his company, you walked away and fit to giggles. He was a comedy genius, absolute comedy genius. He was a lovely father as well, you know, he was a lovely, you know, he worshipped his children. But, you know, if whenever we go away, the you know, we stack dudes, lads dudes, everyone, the first thing anyone would say when you're booking is, Lavi going? 
because that's what it was about. Last time we went away, we went to Benidorm, and all weekend, it's just them stuck in the middle of 30-odd lads, just just everyone just hanging off his every word. It's just absolutely hilarious. But he's a lovely fella, you know, just a nice fella. Very intelligent as well. Very intelligent person. And he made memories for so many people. And unfortunately for, for those, there'll be some listening who, who know the work you're doing and who maybe know Paul, and there'll be others who, who don't actually know um, the sad circumstances surrounding Paul's death a few years back. Um, yeah. So could you perhaps tell us about Paul's relationship and how it eventually led to, to his death? With her, um, to be honest, none of us ever met her. You know, was, um, he was only with her for a year. Um, before, uh, he was with a girl called Bernie in Manchester, but that broke down the logistics side of things. We've seen him more times when he was with her than when he was living with this one in Rock Ferry. The two previous to them, Claire, fantastic girl, mother to his children, and Tiny, who's a sister of one of, one of Paul's mates, one of our lads. Uh, but this one... And the first time I'd seen her was in the court when she bounced into the court, nonchalant, aggressive looking, giving us all the daggers, giving us mum the daggers. And I just, I just thought, my God, how did you end up with her? That was the first time I'd seen her. And I'm, a, I'm one of Paul, I was one of Paul's closest mates, you know, so, but I didn't see her. None of us did. I think the brother seen her once or twice, that was it. Obviously, hindsight can can be a difficult thing in these circumstances. But did you notice a change in his behaviour at all during that period? Um, it would be probably wrong to say it did because because he what, the previous year before that he was in Manchester, so we didn't see much of them. But we didn't see him. You know, he didn't come to parties. Um, he didn't even get. I used to even. He should always get a text now and again if we didn't see him that much. I you was know, saying pints, you know, come come for a pint, but there was none of that. I remember I was trying to get him to come to Dublin in the January before he lost his life, and he just wouldn't have it. You know, we've been the previous year at the same time when he was having none of it. We we were all begging him to come, but it just his brothers said he didn't he didn't get much text response a lot, you know. So it'd be wrong to say if there's any, if I noticed anything because I didn't see loads of him. He was always there if we were going, you know, on big events, we go and invite him. But say he missed, he didn't come to a wedding he should have went to that year. The night he lost his life, he should have been at a 40 from Pratt Rugby Club, but he wasn't. He was stuck in his flat with this one. Didn't know the extent, what was happening in the relationship. He said, he went to a back to someone's house at a party once and he mentioned that she she hits him. And that, but that, I didn't get, I didn't hear about that until after it, like, you know, and he come up to ours, um, must have been about a month before he died, then he fixed me alarm and I, I, he said, mine's a crank. And it just went through one ear and out the other with me. You know, yeah. And now I'm looking back all the time. I played that role, and I just know, you know, when you know now that he wanted me to open it up, but it didn't. I would now, but now it's too late. Now I, I know now, you know, what 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 I would do. 
But it didn't then. It just it just didn't register, you know. You just suppose many other fellas would be the same even now, you know, you just can't get your head round it that a your fellow your mate would be getting knocked about by a woman. But say a few little inklings about that she was hitting them from the odd people, but I never heard of it until after it. Yeah. And and do you think the fact that Paul was such a quite a confident wild person in himself, so life and soul of the party, that it's almost easy to just assume he would speak up if anything was wrong as well. I mean, men aren't the best at communicating most of the time as it is, especially yeah. when it's somebody that's... It was no, no surprise that he wasn't at that party or, you know, say, because he had... He stopped going to match as much, but now I look back again, even when he was in um, Manchester, he still go to the odd Everton game, you know. He lost a bit of love with the game of football when Sky took over. He used to always say that predicted what's happening now years ago yeah but um, when he was with her, I don't even think he went to an Everton game you know so now you look back and think yeah okay it is again you know putting your pieces all together you know we didn't because he was locally lived in Rock Ferry but we didn't see him for a year but he was around and, the corner but we've seen him more in Manchester and do and people in his it's not that they should at all, but do people in his social circle carry any guilt around that, or, or was it them things where there was a few odd signs looking back, but in reality you just never would have known? A lot of people haven't been as open since Paul lost his life. You know, I think it's affected people quite a lot. Of, you know, I've been very voice voiceless about it. Um, there's been a couple of people who. Couldn't really get their head around it that he was a victim of domestic abuse, you know. Partly because he'd be embarrassed about to be linked that he, he's lost his life, he'd been hit by a woman. But there's your problem, isn't it? He's not even here to be embarrassed about it. He would be, but he's not here to be because he was obviously embarrassed about it when he was alive. And there lies your problem. Yeah. If he wasn't embarrassed about it, he spoke out. It, she stabbed him in his legs previously, about a month before he died, I think it was, to stop him going to work, stopped him at a screwdriver and both legs. He couldn't go to work. His boss knew, because he got to call his boss and say, why? Yeah. And it, yeah. And for those who, who don't know the area very well, myself and Ant are both from Tromia, which borders Loch Ferry. And it is a tough working class area, isn't it? It's full of honest, hard working people. And, Probably yeah. the type of people that are very proud and, and maybe will, if you think of a man who's very popular, would probably be worried about being laughed at for coming forward with something like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, is, is his neighbours knew about it all? This is, this is the thing. Um, it all, we all pieced it all together when it was too late. I mean, I got the call in the morning and my mate rung up and said, uh, you better get down to Labby's. Um, I think he's been killed. So that, you know, it was a bit on goal, but you like, I just hate that in your head. So I just drove down. Everything went through my head. As he had a heart attack, as this happened, this happened. And the thing that didn't go through my head was that he'd been killed by his partner. So you got there, um, there's loads of the lads are already there, and she's in the, the police car on the phone to some one of my mates or whoever, they're just laughing away. And then this neighbour comes out and says, it was uh, 
I know it was there. She was knocking that hammer all the time. I seen it in the car park, punching him in his van the other week. And then you're like, whoa. And then it just unravels and unravels more and more. She was outside, always dissing his children to the neighbours, stuff like that. All stuff that you're like, where's the all this come from? Well, too late. How did you manage to, to deal with that yourself? Obviously, you can be as open as you want here. How did you manage to to kind of process what had happened and, and, and what had gone on? Uh, to be honest with you, um, at that time, I've never we've never witnessed Kerry Flaker ever. Um, there's lads coming up to my house who are tough lads who've never showed an ounce of emotion in 30 odd years, and they were just like reduced to wrecks. It took me how long to get. I had a lot of guilt. I thought, you know, I lost my mum 20 years ago to, to cancer, and I didn't. I didn't even have that sort of grief, probably because I, I knew my mum was going to die. I, took, I was doing grieving while she was still alive. And so it was just to take it in. It, was, it took people a long time. Now, people still haven't got over it, but I've never seen anything like it. And, and it was just the whole macabre way that he lost his life. You know, we were standing in a car park outside a window. On the other side of that window, he's sitting on a bath, lost his life. Mm. That, I can't, can't fathom it even now, you know. It still affects people, you know. His mum, his brothers, you know, it's, it's, they'll never recover from it. They'll hide, they'll hide in it, but inside, been destroyed. And that heartless behaviour, that's what made it worse for everybody, you know, and it carried on right through the court case. I, I went to the court every single day to support the family, and what I've seen and heard, it was just, you don't do that to people. Mm. You know, firstly, it was, um, he did it himself. Basically, there's a mother going to see pictures of a, a son lying on a slab, and she's saying he did it himself just to twist more pain and then the judge wasn't having it and she said um, okay I did do it but I can't remember and said no not having that and okay I did do it but he made me do it said no not having that and then the end said okay I did do it sorry so we took all that she only said sorry for herself basically you were touching on before about how rock Ferry is this working class town and it's it's quite tough and it's it's full of, you know, people who went to school together who don't, don't tend to move away from there. They're, they're quite close-knit. And um, how, you know, there are jokes that have gone on for a long, long time around kind of like, you know, having a bit of a, a, a bit of a crank of a missus, I think you, you said before. And there's always been those kind of like jokes and, and a bit of humour. Do you think that's, that's kind of affected the way people look at it in terms of our oh, well, if it happens like it, it's almost like a more of a joke yeah yeah I think when it first happened it was a bit you know it was, it was down as a drunkard brawl and rock ferry mm. so it didn't look good and you know and the fact that when it went to court no evidence came up really because she eventually pleaded guilty to manslaughter. Mm. 
If I would have went to trial, then obviously all the witnesses would have come in and then it would have been a full-blown domestic abuse case with all the evidence. Gladly that she did uh, plead guilty because it would have meant family members going up and going through absolute torture. To, to say, you know, like a son, the son seen her knocking that out of Pearl in front of his son. So that was part of our goal as well, to get the story out that this wasn't a one-off. This was an ongoing thing. You know, Paul wasn't that type of... He was no angel. Let's get one thing straight. Paul was no angel. Paul made mistakes and, like, he was no angel, but he was a lovely fella. You know, a lovely fella. And you can only got to see what... When I was feeling all the people there who devastation, his ex partners, trying to say Tiny and Claire both dead, devastated. They loved him, you know, even though they weren't with him anymore. And they still loved him, you know. Absolutely. And, and you started the, the foundation following Paul's death. And could you just give us a, an idea of what kind of prompted you to start that, that foundation? Yeah. Um... Basically, it was um, it was myself and Steve McHugh. Steve McHugh came to me one day. The other co-chairman said, uh, "Do you fancy starting a foundation? Get people up, get people smiling, get people." You know, Steve was a um, he's a marathon man, does all sorts. He's like a machine. If you start getting people healthy in the community and help Paul's family was a big part of it. You know. Give them something to focus on, always be there for them, for the children. And then obviously as it started to unravel, we started um, bringing the, raising the awareness of domestic abuse into into it as well. So that's where we're at. We were like, you know, we're a charity, we're a community, helping places like Clare out, you know, trying to get families out away from the telly, the Xbox, get out, get running, get on a bike, you know, kids, mums, dads, because that's where it starts, all this problem. That's where it breeds. If you've got a healthy family life, then you've got a chance of preventing what's happened to Paul. Yeah. Well, if you've got a decent family, that's, that's what our aim is now. You know, we're going into schools now as well. We're going to primary schools with a board game. Okay. Yeah, we got like a board. It's like a board game. We've gone into a, must have been about twelve schools so far, um, and the girls go in from our office, and it just generates um, topics with the children. You know, if this, if something like this happens in your house, is this right? Is this wrong? You know, what's healthy between your mum and dad? And it's good. It's just brilliant, and that's where it's got to start as well. In the schools, because I too much sort the kids. The kids are seen in some of these houses, especially in the, in some of the rough parts, you know. And that's you know, out of any household, to be honest with you. But that's where it's got to start. So absolutely. it's sorry, absolutely. I I think that's a, a really good step, and the more education you get around it, because I think this is a, a certainly in the in the way that this has happened, it's a topic that. It isn't really spoken about. It's spoken about from men towards women, but towards from men, women towards men. It's 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 something it's known about, but obviously it it needs to be talked about a lot more. And and hopefully if if people can spot it more, people become more comfortable talking about it as well, which I, I'm sure is one of your aims as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a taboo subject, isn't it? I mean, I've, you know, 
I've seen all, all through this lockdown, you know, it's been very encouraging. You've seen endless news articles about domestic abuse on Sky, ITV, whatever. But you've not, you've, you've been raising the word male all the time. Mm. So what, if a man is sitting at home watching these news feeds and thinking, how the hell can I speak out? Because all this ignorance to male abuse is fueling the, the male silence. And people have got to know that it's happening to men out there. It's one in three. 786,000 men were victims of domestic abuse last year. One in three men. But whenever you see a report, read a report, it's always, um, we, you know, it's always, it's, it's women. That's it, women. We know women are always going to be the highest of amount you're going to be abused and domestic relationship. We know that that's not going to change that sadly, but don't forget these one and three men and people are. Obviously we're a podcast that is trying to get men talking about their mental health and their well-being. And do you have any particular uh, thoughts on why men don't really talk about these things? You know, obviously you've mentioned that you got together with Paul through like the love of music and football and, and having a pint. But did you ever get to the point where you were talking together about about pretty personal stuff and, and opening up towards each other? It's, um, the, there's obviously the macho thing, doesn't it? I mean, my views on Paul not opening up. It's only my views. I think that was why he kept quiet. A big group of lads, and we were ruthless when we go away to dick that would be going and flying about Rufus and you know obviously he wouldn't have felt comfortable saying oh I've been getting knocked about by my message he hits me when we're having a having, having, having an argument I think that's a big one obviously um, a lot of men long before this started I don't know how many times I've heard a man say to me I'm only with her because of my children because if a man wants to take, get out of that relationship, he's going to lose his children, his house a lot, even if he's the one who's getting abused, because he won't be believed. Now, before, and this is going on so much, before the lockdown started, we just opened a drop-in once a week, and we had a gentleman come along. He came with his mates, and it was very emotionally broke down. Um, and he told us his story, and... The police came when him and his ex-wife were in the house. He called the police. And the police came in, and they weren't having anything from him. And then his 13-year-old daughter piped up. She'd been keeping a diary of all things her mum had done, and the police totally changed the tune now. Wow. Yeah. A 13-year-old daughter. We read the diary in our office. Heartbreaking. So there you've got a fella who's a victim of domestic abuse, but you've also got a 13 year old daughter of us as well. But yeah. the police weren't having any of it because it happens so often that, and obviously men do as well. If you call the police, I'm going to tell them you hit me. Who's the police going to believe most? The men or the women? That's what's happening. That's putting men off speaking as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the are they going to be believed? Go away. I'm not having a little five-foot woman hitting you. Yeah, that's happening a lot. Sadly, it's putting them off. 
what kind of services do you offer for for people in the local area? To, to you mentioned a little drop-in session there where someone came in. Is that is that a regular thing for yourselves? It is, yeah. Um, took a lot of hard work, you know. We have to be very careful. It is a touchy subject. That you could be, um, you could end up getting swamped with all sorts coming on about, you know, any type of person who's getting abused, you know. And, um, we've got a, a service team now for people. Um, it's open back up again now on a Wednesday. It, it is um, appointment-based on our website at the moment, you know, because of COVID, you know. So that's up and running now. So if these men can contact us throughout, throughout the lockdown, I, I, I get a message on social media of men. And women, to be honest with you, and also mental health. So we're there for people if they need the help. Now they can come to our offices. We've now been given a bigger base where we are. We're not involved northwest on Chester Road, you know, just opposite the KFC. They've given us a big room that we're going to do out, and it'll be a man cave. There'll be office, canteen area, but a little going to do like a little library book area quiet area and then part where you can get a Sally Xbox uh, dartboard you know, so hopefully these fellas can come in and say yeah this is relaxed this but if they're too worried to jump jump in get us on the phone and come to the office then we've got these sports clubs cycling running swimming come along to them they don't have to open up first they just get a feel of who we are so that you can get confidence in us and then maybe they can come up then and speak because we've had men who've done that. Not not abuse, but mental health. Men who've come along to these and they, they pulled one of our lads aside and said, listen, I've been struggling massively. And we've been able to help them with the mental health side of things as well. So, But we're just going to grow and grow now. You know, obviously with what's happened, it's set the country back and it certainly set us back this far as but we're getting back at it now. So we're just growing growing more and more. Hopefully one day we'll have our own building and obviously we want somewhere uh, as a refuge where a man can come, stay, get away from it then. Yeah, that sounds really good. And the services sound really good as well. We've spoken to a few people who've said, you know, exercise and, and, and the like really helps people open up as well. You know, I don't quite know what the scientific thing behind it is, but it seems to just gently ease people into opening up. And you said there as well, you had a, had a couple of contacts from women uh, as well. Is that is that something that's quite regular? Because obviously we've we sort of presented this as a as a place for men to, to kind of seek yeah, refuge it's and help. Yeah, but... yeah. I I refer them. So you say we've got a good relationship with women. You know, if you see online, I'm not Twitter. It's just it's a, just an absolute war between men and women. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be a gender issue. No, they should be coming together. And we we we've had a couple of women on. Friends of women, by the way, who asking for advice, and I, I got in touch with uh, tomorrow's women, you know, pretty big in this area, and the, the great people I went to their base, you know, it is, it's, it's like a, it's a mad little village. It's in the lorry school, and what they've done is just, it's just fantastic. They, they took me round, and it was, it's our goal to get what they've got, but they're fantastic. 
because as I say, yeah, we've had a couple of friends of ours who come and contact us and say, listen, someone in my work is struggling, getting abused by a fella. So we've been able to refer them on because we that's what we had to do before we owned our service. We had to get get a network. You know, so when the likes of these people are coming to us women, uh, mental health, we can say, Oh, pass it along to there, you know, we've got the Gallier project. We you know, if anyone's got mental health or suicidal tendencies, which we've had as well, you know, say, so Yeah, hold on, I can refer you to these here. So it's all there, that and all that network is all together now. It's great to see everybody helping each other in this community. It's brilliant. And it's only growing from strength to strength. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed any changes in attitudes towards this like subject, maybe the way people talk or certainly the way people act? Have you noticed anything in particular? I think, to be honest, I think we've had a great impact ourselves. You know, I think we've definitely raised awareness you know we've helped bring it out there a lot more i think it's got a long long way to go because sadly the people who are making the decisions at the top with regard to abuse they're still ignorant to how much is happening to men you know it just had the domestic abuse bill go through the commons the other week and the the male Word ratio to that was three percent. You know, it should have been thirty-three percent. Mm. But the, that's how much men got mentioned in this because the people who are running these uh, decisions are all women-based groups, and uh, that's what's creating a massive war out there. We don't like to get involved in that, that side of it. To be honest with you, as I say, it's, abuse has no gender with us. You know. But we're certainly raising awareness, you know, people are getting it out there. But I say it's going to take a hell of a hell of a slog to, to have, get men recognised as much and get men feeling confident that they can go and report what's happening to them, you know. There's a, you know women are twice as likely to go and report it as opposed to men. Mm. Men just keep silent. It's very sad. It's extremely sad, um, and it, it's it's one that that definitely needs to change. I, I completely agree with you. You actually um, you actually managed to get the sponsor of a couple of shirts. Uh, I think at Tramia. I remember seeing that in before a game. I think the training kit before a game. How did that manage to come about? Oh, that was a uh, yeah. That do you know what Sammy been brilliant. So we must have we got in we 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 got in touch with him. Um, with Samia in the community. We're going to be doing a sleep house in Samia in October. It's um, all the proceeds will go to ourselves, we're lock, and Samia in the community. So we've had a great report with them. You know, we, we went along, we asked, would, would the players be able to wear the shirts? And they've been brilliant with us. Um, we've been with Evan as well. We've been with Evan in the community. Um, we've filmed around Goodison. Got a big documentary that's due out this year. Um, ma- massively powerful as well when it eventually gets heard. But yeah, they've, they've been brilliant, Samuel. Like, and I think we're going to be doing a lot more with them as well. Which is after them, you know, for for them actually, you know, not being ignorant to it. You know, 
Yeah, they're, they're kind of uh, at the moment. I think with the with the current owners, they they're very much community based, and and I really want to be in touch with them. So I think you know, they're highlighting stuff like gambling problems, and and obviously this as well, and and other issues. So and particularly work with like food banks. So I think they're doing really well, and it's something that has to be said for for Everton and Liverpool over the water. And I think football clubs are taking that that mantle on, which is however much we we dislike the fact that. Modern football has changed a bit. That's really nice to see that they're being a bit more socially conscious. It can get a bit blurred lines, but it's quite nice yeah. to see. It is. Well, the more, the better now than what they ever have. I think the, the things they're doing, you know, actually during this, this lockdown, what, what, what all them clubs have done, you know, for for the old people, you know, ringing old people up saying, can we go and take some food round and long may continue and say that, they're doing everything to get involved with the community and that's what it should be because without the community your football team's nothing you've been doing this for a few years just off the top of your head what's been your proudest moment um when well last year you know we we we, um we rolled from land's end to john O'Groats. there was um 28 there was and the drivers as well um now, half of them were just all us, you know, we're just scallies, you know. We picked up a bike in January. None of us had done nothing, you know, for years, partying. Then in August, we rode 100 miles every day for nine days from John O'Groats to Land's End. And when we came, we did a diversion to come into Weddell and... We went to Clear House because we donated to Clear House and we come in there and they were all clapping us and the, the emotion was unreal. Then we went from Clear House down to um, fitness, total fitness and prepping to meet all our families. All the roads were stopped, cars beeping. And we all had our glasses on. It's a good job because I think every single one was in tears. The adrenaline, it's unreal. Then we went over to Goodison, um, we've had Z cars playing to come down Everton Valley and snow the messes and we rode 124 miles that day and honestly we could have rode another 124 miles because that's the total euphoria that we got it was never 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 felt anything like that in my life ever ever will or ever again and the same when we finished it in Scotland a total emotion for it. we were only starting out to do 20 miles a day we ended up doing 100 miles a day one lad did it in a pair of LA trainers. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, God, Laza, I'm your fan. <laughs> nah, that's brilliant. That thought that's a great story. And just last question from myself. Um, you mentioned before that women are more likely to come forward than men with um, domestic abuse, and with, it's also the same for for suicide as well, and uh, and and those type of things. Do you think men are getting better at talking about the feelings and what's going on and problems that they're having? I do, yeah. I think a lot, you know, especially mental health. And we've, over the past few months, we've had a couple of um, close people, you know. I don't know if it's just an age issue. You're seeing it everywhere, mental health now, aren't you? And it's, um, but I think people are, are, willing to speak a bit more regarding that. I mean, one of our friends 
one of our friends struggled massively this time last year. And I mean struggled at the he was at the end. And we just rallied round. We started doing the shift work and his house doing his house up, staying there, sitting in a room when he was having panic attacks. We got him cold water swimming and you should see him now. And that's because he wanted it. You know, he was that desperate, you know. He was that he, he would try anything he was going to all sorts of mad classes. So and just he was at ours last week for a few things and just looking at him it's a joy to see. He'll always be with him, obviously, but because he spoke out. He saved his life because he spoke out. He was desperate. He was on the he was in the Asda car park, two o'clock in the morning, contemplating that bridge. And now the lad is happy as Larry because he spoke out. Welcome back. I've still got Ryan with me. Ryan, I, you know, I obviously wasn't on that interview, so it was it was it was nice for me to be able to listen back and, and kind of get a feel for, as you say, what the Paul Lavelle Foundation too, but also from Paul a bit more information about his mate, about his friend, and you know, and and, and kind of the tragic circumstances around his death, which are again a lot of the podcasts that we do, we we obviously touch on very heavy subjects some some quite emotional stuff and you know often involves people losing their life sadly but i think from that something positive has come out of it they did you know for for the for the people involved and also for the for the community as well in terms of from your perspective mate from from listening back what what were your what were your kind of takeaway points from from the interview yeah i think First, as you've just touched on, rather than as a group of friends and as a community, they remaining bitter about it and um, not really turning that energy into anything positive. I think that that first and foremost, they're, they're doing the friend um, a lot of justice and a lot of pride in, in how they conduct themselves and the work they continue to do, which, as we've touched on before in the past, we when you have such devastating news like somebody taking their own life or in the circumstances unfortunately having it taken from them if you can use that anger and that hatred and that sadness to do something positive moving forward then it does sort of I think start to sow the seed of repairing the damage that's done and, and help those people recover themselves by keeping the name living on uh, keeping the friend in the in the spotlight and in everybody's heart so first and foremost just wanted to say what, what a privilege it was to speak to Paul learn the story and also learn more about the great work they're doing. Um, secondly, from a takeaway, and I think this is something you've touched on before in a previous episode, is, is around being vigilant, I think was a was a, a key theme for me that kept cropping up and how Paul's behaviour leading up to his death had drastically changed and how we could potentially, as, as friends, as family members, when, when that happens, maybe be a bit more forthright and making sure that they're okay. And I think often when these things happen, people are too scared to upset somebody, especially when it's in a relationship. They don't want to accuse anybody or, or anything like that. So you'd normally just stay quiet and think, oh, I'll leave them to it. Oh, it's not my fault and all, all those type of things. But we've said it before, say it again, ask the question and, and, and ask it more than once. Yeah, absolutely. I, I picked up something very similar from that, right? The, the, the kind of notes that I made were around, you know, we've talked on this show quite a lot. Um, I think back to the Carl Anker episode in particular about, you know, I think the way that men can interact in groups is often seen as quite a positive thing. You know, the way that, you know, we can take the mick out of each other and, 
and poke holes at things and pick fun and that type of thing, but be able to continue in a in a kind of friendly environment. But I do think uh, Paul um, referenced something where he was saying, you know, that their their group of mates, and you can imagine it's probably very similar to ours, could be absolutely ruthless with one another in mm. picking up on any vulnerability, any weakness, and and using it as a joke. And generally, and, and I'd say the same for our group of friends as well. It's done in a it's done in a, in a in a in a good hearted fashion. It's done in a you know not with any um, viciousness intended. But I do think that something that we can all do as men, and particularly now we're coming up to. You know, this episode's out Monday the 12th of April. It's the, the first day when people can start going to the pubs and to restaurants together again, be it, you know, in small groups and outside. What we as men can do, in particularly when we're in those bigger groups, is look to, you know, can we potentially be kinder to each other? Can we combine that element of jokey and, and, and you know, I hate using the word banter, but, you know, that's, that, that's, that's the word a lot of people like to use. You know, that kind of environment, can we combine it with maybe being a little bit kinder, just take the edge off it a little bit and, and, you know, allow space for vulnerability and allow people to not feel as though anything that they share is is fair game for the group to take the piss out of, if you see what I mean. And and you can see how that can manifest itself with a lot of lot of group of friends. And it's, it's natural to do, and we all do it as well. Um, and I think being able to do that would encourage men and encourage lads that you're mates with to maybe feel as though if they want to express something that's maybe difficult or puts them in a vulnerable position, that they're going to be able to do so without fear of it being used as a joke against them at some point in the future. And that was just something that I was kind of thinking of, particularly given that, you know, hopefully, you know, you and I and the rest of the the lads that we go to match with may be able to start going to match together again in in the next few months. And we know the first thing that will happen when you turn up, there'll be some kind of joke made about something. That's that's how everybody, you know, breaks the, the conversation. That's how everyone, you know, breaks any awkwardness is with a joke that's what men do generally and I think it's about keeping that positive elements of it but also maybe just being a little bit kinder with it to one another as well yeah I, I don't even think I need to add much more to that Dan because I think you've you summed it up perfectly um, just, just a little side note from that and what you're saying like it's funny with the match because the people you engage with there if they lose somebody the first time you often see them is walking up the steps of the match if they've just had a kid. first time you see them might be walking up the match if they just got married, just got divorced. The match is actually like the, the, the almost a connector to not just sending a text to somebody when something's happened in their life. Like, you can't avoid it. Like, I've, we've been at matches when somebody's just lost a parent and they're walking up the steps and you're going to have that conversation with them face-to-face. And I think, I think you're dead right. We need to maybe take advantage of those times we have with people in person and not just waste them on banter, as you've said. I mean, yeah. I, we'll never change that. And we're not suggesting you you shouldn't be able to take the mickey out your mates and have a laugh at yourself at the same time. But again, leave some time in there to be a bit vigilant, ask the right questions and, and also know when you're taking it too far, when it's a joke becomes almost offensive to somebody. So yeah, I think you're dead right, mate. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, absolutely. And a joke can be, you know, joking about something can be great therapy for that type of thing as well. But it's just, you know, as you say, being vigilant is the, is the key word, isn't it? And reading the reading the situation and being, you know, being respectful of people's boundaries and that type of thing. And, you know, I think that's something we can all learn. I, you know, I certainly feel as though that I can learn from that as well. But yeah, I think that's probably a nice place for us to, to wrap up today's episode. Ryan, thank you for, for your time. And thank you to, to you, the listener, as always, for 
for coming along with us on uh, on today's episode. I think just before we wrap up, I just want to point you in the direction of the Paul Lavelle Foundation. If you are a, a man or a woman who is, you know, if, if you're anybody who's suffering with domestic abuse, you can go to the Paul Lavelle Foundation. They have a, a phone number, which is 015165137, or you can head over to their website, which is just simply paullavellefoundation.co.uk. Uh, and you can find them on Twitter, and we'll be we'll be tagging them in in tweets, you know, when we're promoting this episode. But it's at Paul Lavelle Found, uh, and that's how you can you can get hold of them. If you are um, looking for anywhere else to go in terms of help with domestic abuse, there is always the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, um, and that number is zero eight zero eight two zero 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 two four seven. And you can get through to to Refuge, which is a um, national da helpline.org.uk. And I think just just on that, I suppose the, the the main phone number you need to know of, and everybody knows it. If you're in an emergency in that situation, call nine nine nine. You know, don't feel as though you can't make that call. It's a difficult call to make, but you know, I, I'm sure Paul and the rest of the lads at, at the Paul Lavelle Foundation would reiterate that you know it could save your life if you if you make that call, and it's. You know, particularly at the moment as we come out of this lockdown and into back into what would be maybe deemed no more normal society, then then it's certainly worth keeping that in mind. In terms of the, the normal places that we that we uh, like to signpost to you, the, uh, the Samaritans, you can find them at one one six one two three. That's a uh, a twenty four hour phone line, or you can speak to the Calm Zone at zero eight hundred fifty eight fifty eight fifty eight, and their phone numbers open five pm till midnight. And if you enjoyed today's episode and you want to you want to check out more from the Man Marking Podcast, Ryan, we've got some more more episodes for the listeners to uh, to get their ears around, haven't we? We do, we do. We've been busy. So this Friday we've got Nick Little Hales, who is a sleep expert. Uh, so tune in for that. And anybody who follows our flat caps and bowler hat series, there there was a recent episode, Dan. If you want to tell the listeners about that, there was, mate. Yeah, that was with the the Austrian footballer Matthias Sindelar. Uh, the fire of the Nazis is probably the the key title there. Um, how true that is, you'll find out on the episode. So you can get that on the same feed that you've you've listened to today's episode on. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, or if you've enjoyed any of the other episodes that we've brought you, then uh, we'd be very appreciative if you head over to Apple Podcasts, give it a, a rating and a review, and uh, it's just a good way of us being able to grow the podcast, reach new listeners. And uh, you know, hopefully, continue to ask people to, uh, you know, keep keep telling them ways to talk, and lads, that's what we're here to do. So before we hand you over to Paul's quick fire, remember that the purpose of man marking is to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. We've started that conversation today, but we're asking you to keep it going. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your colleagues, even talk to strangers. But most important of all, remember to listen. Sometimes listening could save a life. Thank you for listening, and we'll now hand you over to Paul's quickfire. Right. What will happen first? Everton will win a trophy, or Everton will move into their new stadium? They win a trophy first, and then go into the new stadium the following season. (laughs) That's an Evertonian being positive as always. (laughs) Um, Why are Everton fans always fuming all the time? Wow. <laughs> I think that's a bit of a myth, isn't it, really? You know, we get called we get called better. But then they've won the league and what did he go and do? Jumping on the Dixie Dean statue, 
setting fire to the live building, driving around with even in the Champions League, every banner had Everton on it. I think that's a bit of a myth now. <laughs> they need to look themselves in the mirror, really, don't they? <laughs> well, you've been watching Everton for a long time now, Paul. Who's your favourite footballer, past or present? Probably, probably Southall. You know, I love Peter Beasley. I know we wasn't, we didn't win anything with him, but I always wish he could have played in the in the MHC because when Everton sold him, I was devastated. You, you just pay your entrance money just to watch him doing his shuffles, and that he was an absolute genius. Um, but um, yes, I'd say Southall, Southall, because he was the best in the world at what he did. Yeah, we had him on it on the show recently. He's a top fellow off the pitch as well. Yeah, massively. To be honest with you, he came, met him a few times, come to our offices, open the offices. Does a lot yeah, of yeah. a lot of work for so many. To be honest with you, and do you have a, a favourite non-Everton footballing memory? To be honest with you, we used to do quite a good few trips with Tramia. You know, we went to Wembley with Tramia and the Lale and Daff. But I can't even remember them days because it's just too much of partying. <laughs> <laughs> um, non Everton, I, I went to the, uh, the Maracanã with um, my missus. I, I, I tell you, the Maracanã with my missus just before we had a kid. And I think that was that was before it got done up as well. You know, it was the, the old, I thought, wow, coming here. Went into Chile and went to see Everton, the Everton in Chile as well. So if you can class that as non Everton, like, that that was an experience and a half that like seeing Everton play on walls in Chile. What was that? Did, did you go to a game? No, no. We just uh, we went to Santiago and um, she didn't want to go there. We were going to Brazil. She had to stop off here and we went to Santiago and she loved Santiago better than Rio. So we just hired a fella. He took us to the about two hours. It is to just Everton, Chile. It, it was like. Like going back on Victorian time to village, but it was brilliant. You know, it was one hell of an experience. They let me into the ground, like you know, it's only small ground, but but that was something else. That like something.